Hello, I'm Ali. And I'm Nigel. And just ahead of today's episode, we have a quick announcement that's very important. As you know, we usually do our release our episodes every two weeks. But we have an exciting announcement for you today. Starting from this week and next week, uh, we will be releasing episodes every week, every Friday. Every Friday. And it's nothing to do with the fact that we have a massive backlog until April. No, we, <laughs> we heard the millions of listeners clamoring for this and we said, you know what? We give in. We give in. And now all your prayers are answered and you get twice as many hyperfixations as usual. Mm. And with that, on with the episode. Um, Hi and welcome to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we invite various different interesting people on to talk about their special interests that they could just talk forever about. Here are your hosts. I'm Ali. And I'm Nigel. And today we have Eugenia. Hi, Eugenia, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well, thank you. How is everybody here? Good. I'm alright, uh, yeah. I don't, ha- I don't have my monster anymore. Oh. Very sad. Ouch. Yeah, the last couple of recording sessions, I've cracked open a can of Monster at the start of them. Um, I didn't get any this week. Oh. Hashtag, br- hashtag bring back Nigel's Monster. Yeah. F's in the chat. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, whenever I have a call with some friends, I do like to open something, like, or have a glass of something next to me. And I'm currently yeah. on medication, so I'm not allowed to drink until Wednesday evening when my, I have to consume my final dose, and then it's freedom. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where... Which yeah, is I so just... sad, because my dad actually bought me a bottle of Prosecco as a welcome back gift. Oh. <laughs> and I had to tell him, uh, yeah, I can't drink that till Thursday, but thank you. Oh. It's the thought that counts. Yeah, no, it, it was very, very nice. Yeah, I'm here. I'm just here with my cup of tea now, so... Yeah, no, I just finished my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us, what are you here to talk to us about today? Uh, so, um, food, mostly. That's kind of my current niche. It consumes my life because I've been in Russia in the last few weeks, and my mom, she has been growing her own food out in the country, outside of Moscow, and bringing it to me and telling me, we need to make something out of this. And I've been mainly posting it on Instagram. Then everybody was like, oh my God, you're posting too much about food, please make it stop. While the other half of my friends were like, maybe, open like a new page on Instagram so we can just watch you cook. And so I just started to do that. And when I was traveling around Russia, precisely the caucus, um, I was kind of trying new things there and sharing them. And so now I'm kind of doing a lot of research about how people eat around the world, what's kind of fun around the world, fun, f- fun food things for me to keep in mind, to try and I'm also a political science student, which means that I learn a lot about countries. And my biggest goal in life in this world is to make the world a better place and for the countries to kiss 
And the best way to do that is for them to try something delicious. And my goal in life is to find the ultimate food that will make countries kiss. Okay. That, I, I mean, that's probably like the nicest way to go about global peace is just, just kiss, but with food. I mean, yeah. food is actually like the most important way for us to survive as humans. Uh, and not only that, but while I was flying over from Russia to Ireland, I was watching a National Geographic documentary about food, and it turns out that people actually went to war over certain raw materials that we are currently taking for granted as food additives. Precisely sugar, the biggest one, and also nutmeg. So, yeah, I think now we should kind of use these ingredients to make the world a better place not to mention that climate change is kind of a big deal right now deforestation mm-hmm. um serious serious fires in the us and turkey and russia have been occurring that just ruin vegetation and trees and oxygen and we're gonna run out of food if we just keep ignoring these things so yeah i do believe that food is a huge huge factor to how we can achieve world peace and so is is the worsening climate uh, I was gonna say climate climate, which makes sense but also sounds horrible. Is the worsening climate situation like does it factor in into an awful lot of what you're uh, researching food wise? Um, probably yes. Well, I'm not sure because um, I haven't looked into it just yet, particularly this area. however, I, when I was looking at this documentary, it's called The Story of Food, Eat. It's a National Geographic one. Um, a lot of the episodes focus on how unnatural food is becoming and how that's kind of ruining our physique, uh, our mm. body, our health, which is terrible because we now have access to all of this very high quality medicine that's supposed to prolong our lifespan but we are kind of canceling it out by having food brought to us by the supply chain that's not very natural that has a lot of uh, fake ingredients Uh, so what's the best way to deal with this problem obviously to go back to eating food that's like from the farmer to the consumer uh everything that has to be fresh but the problem is if climate change is as bad as we see it and we see a lot of drought or vice versa a lot of flooding that can impact food supplies around the world um i don't have particular statistics about this kind of stuff but i mean it's true you know if you have a source that can only be produced at a certain rate and can only be can 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 only stay fresh for so long before it's not uh, able to be consumed by humans or animals. Mm, yeah. Um. You have to be able to kind of bring it over there quickly. But if the land isn't very isn't good enough, it starts to become expensive. So then it's like basically a survival of the strongest, which is a philosophy I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of. I think people should be able to consume fresh food that's good for them no matter what their income bracket is. Yeah, yeah, of course. 
So I suppose uh, I suppose a good question to get into this then is how did you really get into global cuisine? I mean, like everyone, like food is kind of one of those universal ones where it's like everyone has a relationship to food, be it good or bad. Um, mm-hmm. But like, not enough. A lot of people, um, like, generally will run a food-based Instagram page, like you do. So, how did you get into that? Um, I'll explain. So, I I don't believe I have the best relationship with food, unfortunately, because the Russian culture, although it ha- produces some very very delicious dishes for us to enjoy, and because Russia is very big, it's very very diverse. Um, the at least when I was growing up, uh, diet culture is very very dominant. You have the rules of don't mm. eat after six. I am terrified of Nutella. I'm quite frankly, if you put Nutella anywhere near me, I get a little tense. I'm not going to lie. And mm. my mom, she is also not a very big fan of carbs. Instead of like ordering a burger at a restaurant, she would order like leaves and wrap it up she eats very well but to me that's a signal of like oh carbs equals bad so how yeah. on the other hand my dad he's a big carnivore he likes a lot of meat <laughs> and when my mom went to russia during the summer last year and because of the pandemic she had to stay there i was the one cooking all the dinners and I couldn't consume that much meat because I would start hating meat and think it's bad and uh, it just uh, you lose the sense of creativity and cooking was probably the biggest stress relief at the time for me. I went from being active seven days a week to staying in the same four walls for several months. That's the only way I could get out of Ireland was through food. So I was learning how to cook. On top of that, I was watching a lot of YouTube videos, Italian cuisine, how to make proper pasta, how to make pasta very delicious without too many ingredients. And then there was another one, uh, a lovely woman called Aishanur Altan. She does uh, Turkish food recipes and travel uh, videos on YouTube. And she it's, it's, very, it's a very successful YouTube channel. And she does a lot of live streams on Instagram. And that's where I started to become fascinated with how different foods are around the world even just in europe europe is a very small region and already the dietary habits are quite diverse and turkey is kind of the closest thing to middle eastern food we have but it's still in europe and that's where I, uh, my curiosity began and then uh, of course uh, i was so way I was away from Russia for so long, I, I began to miss it. And when I went to Germany for my exchange, um, I was not the Irish person, uh, I was the Russian person. I was the token Russian friend. And so, I, and I actually did find a shop in my city that had Russian food. So I actually throw dinner parties and teach my friends how to uh, drink. Uh, in the Russian style and also eat in the very Russian style Um, and that's where I realized that the Russian cuisine is actually my favorite which is a very surprising answer to give when somebody asks you what's your favorite cuisine because nobody knows what Russian cuisine is actually like tell us us a bit about Russian cuisine then yeah Um, that sort of like sets up the question (laughs) what is Russian cuisine like so how would I describe it Russia 
territory is massive and it borders so many countries that depending on where you go it changes um since i'm from moscow uh which is very western this is already europe um russian cuisine is a bit of a mix so it still has a little bit of the caucasian influence so uh the area is near georgia azerbaijan uh, armenia a bit of turkey so that kind of path to the middle east it does kind of reach in with spices and the way meat is probably cooked uh but uh there are some dishes that have some french influence uh even our the salad that in portugal at least is known as the russian salad it's the olivia salad it's basically boiled potatoes carrots meat and mm-hmm. you chop it up in cubes mix it with fresh and marinated cucumber and probably other things that don't come to mind and then you put a bunch of mayonnaise on top of it and you mix it and we have that every year for new years it's called olivier and it's actually a very french name i assume <laughs> and even things like baguettes um pastries um dessert names like we have a cake called napoleon uh milfay which are very french names and they're very very flaky so i am going to assume that the origins of how to prepare them are also kind of from france and if you go to st petersburg or any cafe in moscow city center that is that looks quite old like 18th 17th century kind of decoration where everything is so fancy that people got guillotined over this kind of decoration <laughs> uh there even all the desserts have particularly french names um so that's one thing um so i i'm going to say that desserts and pastries and anything baked has kind of french origin but we also have a lot of soups we love soups and most of the soups have cabbage in them potatoes naturally uh, onions and carrots uh, our most famous one is borscht everybody knows borscht it's a beetroot soup uh, a very healthy um and it can be veganized if you take the meat out of it but people love to make the broth with meat Uh sometimes they put in some sausages in there that's my favorite version of it. Um but my favorite uh thing that's much better than borscht is like stuffed vegetables. So stuffed peppers with minced meat or courgettes. Um for example, um those are also known as glupci. Very very cool because you get to have a soup and a main that's kind of that has your five a day all in the one bowl very very convenient i find um yeah there's a lot of like very simple ingredients because we have the climate to grow them um so we can grow apples uh at this time of the year we can grow mushrooms uh and w- about a month ago um honey was kind of coming in two months before that berries were coming in so jams are made all the time everything you know depending on where you are if you find some sort of vegetation that produces certain ingredients you find many many dishes and russian food is kind of healthy but it can also be the complete opposite it can be super unhealthy because um 
I don't know, before that you ate for survival, so you had to eat something very fatty, so you wouldn't die or freeze to death. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Is, is that a thing that you find across all sorts of uh, food culture, that there is such a wild difference between how healthy and or unhealthy things can be? Like, you know, it, would it be the same in, like, other European countries or into Asian countries, do you know? Um, so with Asian countries, for sure. So one thing I found with Asian countries is that when I was living by myself in Germany, I was trying to reduce my meat intake. And southern Germany, where I was based, is not the place to become vegetarian because they love their sausages, they love their meats, they love things like pork knuckles, which are so fatty and are not the most healthiest, but I suppose if you live near mountains or on mountains, um, it gets quite cold, so you want to have something that's warm uh, and uh, fills you up and helps you stay warm during winter. As for Asian countries, I don't think that would be the case. I think there are some nations that didn't mainly consumed vegetables, so had a very vegetarian or pescatarian diet until the Western uh, civilization began to enforce their dietary habits on them. I cannot name, think, I can't think of any right now, but at least that's what I've heard of. There, when I was trying to be vegetarian, I actually went towards Asian cooking because that's the they they use so much flavor in their dishes that you don't necessarily need meat or anything fatty to enjoy the flavors. Um, perhaps one country that stands out to me the most is India. India is probably the most diverse country in the world in terms of food because you have a mix of everything it's really easy to not eat meat there i think some people mm -hmm. don't for religious reasons and yeah, so yeah. that and because it's so hot there and in the past when you didn't have things like fridges or electricity or anything to cool your food you had to spice it a lot and because they are masters at uh spicing food and creating this sense of heat in it they know how to flavor uh, things like vegetables things that don't have any meat in them and that's uh, and you can enjoy it just as much as you can enjoy anything else but depending on the region again that you're in you're going to find unhealthy foods you're going to find foods that are more meat based and more fattier or not and again it's more it's all down to what was the region like before everything was completely turned over and industrialized and they got electricity and fridges and all these other things. How did they survive and why? And why with this particular food? Mm. Okay, I, it, just in terms of like... In terms of like colonialism, that's probably... That, that probably plays a big factor into... Um, how cultures change and especially how their food works Absolutely. I remember, yeah because i remember like one thing i learned early on because both of my parents were in the irish army and so one of the things we always used to hear like at home was like if you have a cur like if you ha got a curry back in the old days you know like 
it would be very dodgy because you could put, you know, a lot of um, seasoning on meat to make it, you know, to make it really, really tasteful if the meat has started to gone to go off. And I know, like, that's not a big thing now, but it, it, it's a strange way that, like, colonialism and soldiery has changed how we perceive food, I guess. Oh, actually, I do talk a lot about maybe not necessarily colonialism, but how Ireland as a colony got robbed from any food opportunities. We don't have a very uh, advanced cuisine. Like, we don't have much that we can offer that's like authentic Irish and that's that cannot be done anywhere else. Because... Irish stew, Sunday roast. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sunday roast. Like... It's it's very basic food and yeah, yeah. it's it's food but it's it's quite basic like people don't get particularly impressed by it and they have to explain well you know we're kind of starved to death so you know give us a rest yeah uh, we'll catch up eventually yeah I'll catch up eventually and my friend Louise was telling me that well even things like pizza uh, was just not a big part of like culinary diet in Ireland until quite recently I'm I my guess is maybe 30 years uh, because I don't know we just didn't have the palate for it and she would even tell me things like oh my granny would just you know mix baked beans with lasagna because to like her to her lasagna <laughs> is just this one it's not like the way Italians see lasagna it's just like oh that's really good with chips or baked beans another thing um some of my friends who aren't from ireland don't understand why we insist on having chips with pizza or with lasagna they don't get it and i'm like it's just it's just we just do <laughs> yeah what we do it's like i'm not gonna explain explain myself we just do it okay you gotta deal with it yeah that's just how we are yeah i think it's interesting that you bring up um about pizza because one of the things i learned was like like pizza and things like pasta is fairly new even in italy in like a relative term of of time yeah because like you say like you know things becoming industrialized and stuff because uh when you like you know you think of quintessentially food from an area and we've talked about how no one really knows what um quintessential irish food is or quintessential russian cuisine um but if i said to you like quintessential italian cuisine you'd say you know nine times out of ten you'd say pizza or like pasta but mm-hmm. spaghetti came from china um yeah, that's right. Yeah, noodles uh, are originally Chinese, and then it just got passed down by merchants, I suppose, over centuries. Yeah, and tomatoes came from the. Also, just I really want to make something that's to do with either food or misconceptions. That's just called spaghetti comes from China because I think that's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, new podcast. Oh, don't tempt me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will be the co-host of that. <laughs> Yeah, but what what do you think of that kind of like, like culturally enforced purism? That's like this is the food from this culture, um, and you you know anyone who does it the wrong way is kind of a heathen. I I don't like that to be honest. Um, I've been to Italy 
a number of times and I have befriended uh, Italian people. I've actually had an Italian room, like flatmates. And they are very protective of how they cook. Even they're, uh, they even joke about like our grandmas won't even go to a particular restaurant simply because it doesn't cook well enough. And that mentality just flows throughout the, the, the country. And then you go to France and they add things like cream to the carbonara and everybody gets upset about it. Like wars have been fought for less. And I did have this discussion with a friend of mine. She is uh, half Kabyle, so her father was from Algeria. She, uh, her mother is French and she also has Russian ancestries. And she was telling me, honestly, as long as you understand where the kind of meal you're making come, make something delicious out of something very small. That's what makes you a good cook. We should, we should learn about what, where food travels, where everything comes from. But saying, oh, our thing, like, listen, just, okay, just say, say you do it this way, you know, is by far the worst country for that. They love gatekeeping their food. Is that what that, the um that's just from my personal experience. Also I watched like a lot of BuzzFeeds where it's like Italian grandma tries Olive Garden and some of them just outright refuse to try it. No the um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like absolutely not. No, uh, literally there was somebody who <laughs> gave her a plate of ravioli and she's like no 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 that's not ravioli that 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 that's no like she was somebody's like no, no, it's she's like no it's not ravioli stop and, oh, so it's it, like <laughs> it's really funny but like they just feel it with their their whole body you know they they say no this is not how it is uh no the mm. documentary um so i watched only two episodes because that's what was available on the Aeroflot Airlines uh, and I cannot find it on Netflix. But uh, one episode dealt with sugar and the other one with junk food. And that's kind of, yeah, what where I was basing some of the things I've recently said on. Ah. Yeah. Fair, fair. Just, I, I, it's after coming into my head. Do you, did you ever see the um, interview they did with Italian chef Gino De Campo on um, this morning, where he was making them? Um, I think it was like carbonara, and they were like, they were like, oh, if you did this, you know, it'd be really nice. Like if you put this into it, and he just turns around and he says, well, look, if my grandmother had wheels, she would have been a yeah, bicycle. <laughs> no, I don't think I've seen those. That's my favorite. That's, I think that might. That's easily top three moments on this morning ever. Yeah. <laughs> right up but... there with when Katie Hopkins was talking about how she didn't like place names for children and Phil said, your child's called India. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, sorry, were you going to say something? No, no, no. <laughs> no. I was going to, I was going to be like, do you want to talk about um, junk food? Because I feel like that could be a potentially loaded topic. I, I feel like as well, because we're all college students, so we have mm -hmm. more interaction with junk food than a lot of people, or like yeah. unhealthy, un like unhealthy foods. Because I mean, like the amount of pot noodles I ate last year, um, oh beggars belief. N no, honestly, like, oh, 
Uh, my dad got a sandwich maker like for cheese toasties and I'm so happy because I predict that this is going to be the sponsor of my f- entire fourth year mornings like <laughs> uh, because I-, I don't know what this year is going to be like and so I don't know to what extent I'm going to have time to like make proper meals for m- myself and like my uh, my dad but <laughs> but um, yeah no actually it is a loaded topic you're right and the problem is uh, junk food originally, like, uh, was aimed at, first of all, girl bosses of the 1960s US. So, you mm. know, you want to be a career woman, you don't need to cook anymore. That's like so, like, 1950s. Nah, go gatekeep girl boss, honey. We got you covered <laughs> with ready me uh, ready-made meals, you know? Meals, right. But ready-made meals... When you have to industrially produce any food, you're gonna add something that makes it, first of all, like, stay longer uh, and, like, you know, be fit for human consumption longer and at least not just to make it to the shelves, but to stay on the shelves for another month or so. But then uh, even things like uh, burgers or, like, things like McDonald's or Dairy Queen anything convenience was also aimed at kids apparently like there was advertising for kids because now they were going to school they didn't have to work anymore but both of their parents worked so they had to eat during the day because the yeah. mom does no longer has time to make uh, meals from scratch for the family um, but now even <clears throat> anything we get advertised in the last maybe 30 years would be aimed at young people and the worst part is like this is the prime age we're living in so we're in our 20s we have the best possible organism Uh, we have the most amount of energy and how we eat now will impact our health in our 40s and 50s and the opportunity cost of that is because we don't have any money or the time or the energy to make healthy food or make proper uh, educated food-based decisions, which is a huge psychological factor, we resort to ready-made meals. We resort yeah. to uh, instant noodles, McDonald's. And I I don't know why I have this love-hate relationship with McDonald's, but I genuinely, like, I, ca- I don't have any time for people who are in their 50s and 60s have the time to make meals because they work from nine to five and then they are at home in the evenings. They don't have any homework to do. They don't have to have write essays. Um, They can make meals for themselves and it's fine for them. And they have the income to like finance this kind of eating habits. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's crazy. Like I could literally talk for ages about that. Even just the like, the amount of brain space it takes for you to <laughs> meal plan your meals for a week, to go grocery shopping, uh, to know how much everything costs within your budget. What can you make out of that that will last you for several days? When I was uh, when I, it was exam season in Mannheim for me, which was like late June, early July, 
all of my friends in Ireland were finished college. I was still doing college. This is the first time I actually missed my mom because I wanted somebody else to cook me food. I had no brain space to even think about what I was going to eat. I just needed something to be in my fridge so I could take it out, eat it, and then go back to the library. So it's it's insane. And, and junk food targets the shit out of that. Like marketers know about this stuff. Like, like this is slightly different, but like speaking of like ready-made things or microwavable things, like I remember when I was in sixth year in school, um, I did on Thursdays I would do like afternoon study, which would be like quarter to like quarter to four to quarter to six, and then evening study would be half six to half eight. And because we were not allowed to go home in between the two study sessions, like I was in the school building from like. Basically half eight to ha- half eight in the morning to half eight in the evening. So, what I would so since I basically wasn't going to get to have a proper meal until I got home, I would just bring in one of those you know microwavable spaghetti bolognese things, like which I'm sure were not the most healthy. But like at the same you time, need, you're kind of you need you know, energy. energy. Like before I like pass out in the middle of writing an essay on frost. Oh God! Don't mention his. Oh, I swear to God, <laughs> Robert Frost, right? Oh, I'm so mad. Like he's the first poet we ever did for the Leaving Cert, and so I wasn't very good at poetry writing at that stage because I mm. we this is the first poet. Like, how would we know how to write an yeah, essay yeah. about poetry? And I I swore to myself uh, that October fifth year. I'm never doing frost. If he comes up in the leaving search, I'm not looking his way. Comes <laughs> the day of the leaving search. Uh, three poets that we did came up for me. Three out of the four. Yeah. Um, what's his name? John Montague, I believe. Uh, your man Larkin and, and Frost. And I started the Montague one. Then I realized I couldn't answer the question because the poetry that should answer the question, we didn't cover it. Mm. Looked at the Larkin question, thought, oh, "Now listen, this is a lot of, this is a lot of crap. I I can't do this. Like I, my, yeah, the, I my 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 brain could not produce any thoughts. You know when you're in an exam, and at this point it's just like whatever is in your brain, you yeah. you just write it. You can't think of anything. You, your your brain isn't working. You're like you're on autopilot. And so I see Frost, and I'm like." Are you kidding me? So I write Frost. I get a B, even though I didn't finish the essay. And when I was uh, ordering postcards on Redbubble for my wall in Mannheim, whose poetry did I choose to <laughs> hang up on my wall? Robert Frost, uh, acquainted what a guy. with the what night. A guy. And not even that, I think in December, I, I tried to memorize the entire poem of Acquainted with the Night. I. I Eventually, I forgot it all again because I, re- I realized that memory learning is not the way I memorize things. But it's actually one of my favorite poems now. It's I I love Acquainted with the Night, but it's really funny that you were like, I'm gonna learn this by rote, um, this Frost poem by rote, and then you were like, Nah, fuck this, this is dumb, because like Robert Frost really hated learning things off by rote. I'm pretty sure there's a quote or something where he he gives out about it. So I just think it's like, it really is very frost. Um, yeah. But it doesn't one. work. Uh, the, oh, uh, did you guys do Leaving Cert Irish? 
Yes. Yeah. Do you know the way? Do you know the way they went from five Shropters to twenty? Uh, uh -huh. to, yeah. To supposedly stop us from rote learning, I we rote learned them all. A tree died for me to do my leaving cert Irish <laughs> oral because of those straw pictures. And in the end, I still got the one that I started to leave. <laughs> like, oh no. Uh, I mean, it's fine, but still, like, uh, it. People are gonna rote learn for exams anyway. Which is why I just find this whole thing of memorizing quotes for the leaving cert English exam to be such bullshit. Because. I really liked the uh, the stuff we did for our leaving cert. In fact, I wish the paper too mostly focused on our knowledge of literature and the context of the literature rather than memorizing quotes because that meant that we could read more, we could understand literature more uh, across many different spheres. It wouldn't be as stressful for us to learn it and I think in the long run, people would appreciate uh, literature a lot more, especially since, especially with Irish literature. I'm not particularly well read, but one thing I definitely show off about Irish culture when I'm abroad is how rich our, um, like our literature is. We have so much poetry, uh, plays. So if people are into theater, there's always something to see. Um, even like novels, we have a lot of those and uh, I wish we did them more for the leaving cert because we would appreciate like the kind of like uh, our legacy, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Mm. To, uh, to do like a nice little segue, did you do home ec for your uh, leaving cert, Eugenia? Or I did for not. Your cert? No, for neither actually. I was going to but um, Again, um, when I was going into first year of secondary school, um, I had this whole, whole I'm gonna be a girl boss mentality. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like, so my grandmother, she kind of has a lot of influence of how I feel like my future should look like because she was okay. kind of, a, she was a breadwinner for a very long time. This is my Russian grandmother, and I'm her only granddaughter, so we spend a lot of time together when she uh, go. She has holidays because she works in school, they have m more days off. And so, yeah, she, that summer she's like, you know, I definitely see you like working in a business somewhere, having your own working space, uh, doing something very important. So I thought I'll do business studies instead of home ec. Because with business studies, I can be the optimal girl boss. Um, that's why hashtag I girl boss. hashtag girl boss. Yes, uh, and also I did music, so hashtag gatekeep was kind of my thing. Also in first year, so yeah, we didn't have, we didn't, um, I didn't get to do home ec, which is also a shame because I do think that home ec is quite an important subject. They learned very interesting things there. Uh, and not only that, but also business studies. Like, I wish those were, like, mandatory subjects. Not to take exams on, but just to teach in schools mm. until third yeah. year. Because, uh, I'm sorry, but life skills, uh, we all need them. Regardless of what college we go to. Why are you not teaching us this? Like, we're, we're legally obligated to be in this building until we're 16 years old. Please, at least teach us things that we can actually do 
after we're 16 and we decide to leave school because we don't have to be here anymore. Why can't you just teach us the basics now and then get into like, I don't know, the, the powerhouse of the cell, the, 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 what led to the Northern Ireland conflict to begin with, you know? Like, those are also important things, but, you know, life skills, um, they can be acquired by anybody and they should be taught a lot more earlier on and not as a choice. Do you think like... then... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ali. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to... I was just going to ask, do you think... Because um, when we talked with um, Ross Boyd on city planning and cycling, we were talking about how you could rework the CSB... Uh, curriculum so you could get you know people into more of a mindset of civic engagement and just if you made that sort of like life skill and basic cooking thing that home ec prepares you for uh, mandatory do you think that would like solve an awful lot of the problem of people eating uh, more and more unhealthily and getting into this mindset as they go on later in life do you think that would make it could we do that and still be girl bosses um so I do think that's a very good goal that is very expensive to invest in now, but has very high returns in the future. Because um, if you change mindsets of people, young people now, whose brains are very, very uh, good at absorbing new information, they will develop healthy habits. And then when they are a bit older and they have families of their own, they can pass on these habits and so that society in general can probably be healthier and we don't have these problems like type 2 diabetes or anything related to bad dietary habits uh, that could save a lot of money to the health services, for example. However, I don't believe that it's going to change things entirely because I do. I am all for healthy eating. I have been raised to um, appreciate a good vegetable and turn any something very small like a courgette into something very, very, very flavorful and delicious that can actually fuel me for the next couple of hours while I am writing mm -hmm. an essay that's taking up all of my energy. However, because that alone doesn't um, factor in the fact that I'm still a student. There are uh, single parents, there are people working multiple jobs, and they simply don't have the, the mental energy to allocate to things like cooking for meals. Maybe they do if we change their mindsets, but mm. with mindsets, then you have to uh, make sure that the companies that provide these foods, because it's mainly just business for them, they have to catch on to the trends. So maybe, perhaps, it might also change dietary cultures in terms of the commercial aspect. Of course. That bring... and... Oh, no, sorry. Oh, oh, I was just saying that, like, um... Like we always think about like you know the idea of like you know like good food and like bad food like I'm like putting this and like you know like inverted commas, but like the thing is if you tell people that they're eating like bad food like if you think that you're like all oh, this food is bad like you know you're not being good with food like like you're just gonna feel like crap like it's not gonna like incentivize you to like eat like you know like so called like good food or whatever you're just gonna kind of feel a bit shit like. Yeah, but again, like, what's good food and bad food is personal, first of all, and mm. also very cultural. 
my grandmother um, could not handle the food in Turkey. She automatically thought something spicy was n- not very good food. Even though, first of all, like a huge chunk of the world consumes spicy food. In fact, probably most of the southern hemisphere does. Uh, you cannot just say that an entire part of the world doesn't know how to eat just because you cannot handle spice. Uh, but also, again, because of how different diet is around the world, things like bad food uh, are not the same everywhere. Somebody might say salt is very bad for you. And they have like this notorious fear, fear of salting their food. If you go to regions that are quite mountainous in Nepal or Pakistan or maybe in some places in China, um, because there is very little to acquire in terms of like raw material, crops don't grow everywhere and they're not, a, there isn't a diverse choice of what you can eat. Uh, salt is, you know, a big aspect of how you flavor your food or preserve it. Uh, some places even add uh, salt to their tea instead of sugar because they cannot get their hands on sugar. So um, this whole ba- good bad is really, it's very situational. One thing I wanted to um, touch on, just when you brought up the commercial aspect and stuff, what uh, is your opinion, if any, on um, subscription-based meal services, things like HelloFresh, where they deliver you you know th- this sounds like a this sounds like a sponsor we're not sponsored by hello fresh <laughs> although although um, if they want to. yeah uh, <laughs> just kidding unless, unless you know where it's like they give you exactly the ingredients you need so there's no food waste i feel like food waste is a big thing we haven't really um oh, touched on oh yes absolutely oh my god definitely um i don't particularly have an opinion on these food subscriptions um I, I don't know anybody that uses them, and I also Someone's using them. <laughs> uh, someone's using them. Uh, they, they exist for a reason. Somebody noticed a gap in the marketplace, and they said, we need to take care of this because, first of all, we can earn money, and this gap can be filled. Of course. Which was but, if you use them. Yeah, but I just don't know who uses them, so I don't know what kind of an opinion. It's not... I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I just, I don't know. I never really thought about it. Uh, but in, in in theory, it sounds very good. I'm not sure what it's like in practice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the prices are, are like. Hold on. Now I'm, I'm, I'm going to really start uh, baiting Google into, um, <laughs> into thinking that we want a sponsorship or that I want it. <laughs> Hello Fresh I'm, prices. How much money? I'm, a Hello Fresh meal is seven dollars <laughs> forty nine a person. Uh, uh, versus grocery well, stores at nine dollars seventy four per person. But still, there are people who live on ten dollars a week. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that ten dollars is meant to feed probably more than one person. So. Yeah, that that's the that's an issue I have. Um, that even if you make these subscriptions and they're pretty, they sound really good in theory. Um, how, what what kind of populations are being t- taken into account when making those um, things? You know, um, it's all about because 
I read Invisible Women by uh, Isabella Credo Perez, I believe, or Carolina Credo Perez. She talks a lot about how most of the decision making in any sphere um, doesn't take account women. And here I also have an issue. When you're make, providing a service that delivers vegetables, who are you delivering them to? Are you taking it into account the people who actually need them or just the people who can afford them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I feel I feel like that's a big thing where all of our all of our standards are gauged against what men want. And I really mm. hate that. You know, like you see it even in like crash test dummies where all of the seatbelt safety standards yes. in cars yes. they're designed for men. Yeah, no, uh, she talks about that actually, and I couldn't believe it. I actually, when I read that chapter on the fact that w- there are no dummies for women or pregnant women, especially, uh, and it's not, it's, even in the EU, it's not required for you to, um, f- for you to even test them on uh, a population that's, you know, not shaped like the standard male size. Trash. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's the. That's what I mean. Like, um, when you want to provide a service for people, um, you. For first of all, you have to ask like who is doing it, Uh, and once you know who is doing it, then you know what are they taking into account when providing them. Um, Yeah. Pretty much. And it, and it should be for uh, all women, not just hashtag girl bosses, of course. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, girl bosses uh, tend to be the one, well, at least from what I hear, they tend to be like the in the high income bracket. And yeah, high income bracket tends to be white women. Um, and also mm-hmm. just people in general, generally who are from privileged backgrounds who have some sort of inherited wealth, or if it's not too inherited, like old money or even new money, they're still a very comfortable financial base. So that means that they can pursue their own goals. They don't have to worry about uh, financial hardships. Uh, they just have, they, they're basically on the top of the, pyra- uh, the Maslow pyramid. They think about reaching their goals and being their best self. They probably can look at um, oh yeah, I don't have time to cook uh, casserole with just vegetables or eat vegan all the time. But yeah, this subscription looks really good. Hmm. That I feel like we, you know we, we've been recording for nearly an hour and we haven't even like touched on veganism and stuff. Like I don't want to start a big fight against vegans. I have no problem with veganism or vegetarianism i think uh meat substitutes are really really good and they're you know only mm. getting better of course which, like, definitely an, an awful lot of people's problems seem to be how they perceived people who didn't eat meat back when meat alternatives were really shit and you had no real options um do you think huh? do you think that like w- Obviously, now this is a very like this is a very obvious question. But you think like everyone should go vegan all of the time, or you know, cut out meat? Um, I don't think that's realistic. Um, again, uh, I went to the caucus, so 
this area has a lot of um, meat consumption in there. And pretty much everywhere around the world consumes meat um, of any form. And so you're basically fighting culture, and not only culture, but traditions that have been present there for longer than veganism has been in the Western society. And I, there are, of course, places around the world that com uh, reduce meat completely or almost don't consume any meat in their um, diets. But this whole pushing forward uh, like a mindset that the world should entirely become vegan is a very Western thing. Even Russia mm. doesn't have it. Like Moscow. Moscow is a very, very developed city. It's a very... It's, it's a Western city. Uh, but even then, for me to find meat of uh, alternatives or find foods that can be used as a substitute it's getting better now but even then like russia is getting uh, just in big cities is quite behind i'm not even talking about the rest of the country the rest of the country honestly would laugh at the prospect of veganism because then what are they going to eat you know um people uh, people can grow their own vegetables but we have very harsh winters uh, yeah. We can't we can't survive just on vegetables or bread. Uh, you need something that will keep you going, um, and I think that I think that's the same for other countries or other like regions around the world. So if you have the opportunity to reduce meat intake completely or at least partially, um, even just for yourself, that's a really good thing. But for you to think that the whole world can do something like this, that's very uh, westernized and unrealistic. I want to see your assent, yeah. but like even in Europe, even in Europe, I don't think we can agree on something like this. Uh, it's not; a, it doesn't even yeah. reach all of the society. It's a very like it's a, a big minority movement. I think as well, like as well as it being a big cultural thing, it's also like on a more individual level. Like, the thing is, if you decide to go vegan, it's not just as simple as, like, for a lot of people, it's not just as simple as, like, oh, you cut out all meat, like, um, and that's it. Like, like, I eat meat, like, um, I have a really, I have a very restricted diet, like, I'm autistic, I eat basically the same things every day, like, if I were to just cut out meat, like, that would be, like, that would be detrimental my health like like if i couldn't find mm -hmm. like meat substitute things i like it is not just as easy as saying like oh you need to just cut out all meat and like then keep going like the fact remains that meat can be as far as i know a good source of a lot of different like things that you need like you know to keep yourself healthy like i'm not saying that's a good or bad thing i'm just saying like that's the way it is so if you cut meat out and you don't bring in anything to replace it which um like not everyone knows that you should do like like you're gonna risk you're gonna risk yeah people are gonna risk like getting really sick yeah people don't have a good food education um even for me understanding like how the chemistry of food or food science in general works 
I've only started to learn about that quite recently because I had to learn how to cook by myself or whenever I make pancakes uh, or the Russian variety precisely, they have to be very thin. And me just watching videos of like different grannies having different ways of doing it because it will just come out a certain way made me think, wow, okay, so we learned biology and chemistry in school, I guess, until like mm -hmm. the third year of secondary school. But I wish I learned this because we actually need this information we we sh we need yeah. to know how things react in our bodies and that that becomes important the older we get and the more we have to like attend doctors women who wish to get pregnant uh they have to know what's going on inside of their body uh to what they have to eat more what they have to eat less what's good for the baby what isn't good for the baby um how everything reacts um and uh, if you, for example, t uh, take meat out of your diet or dairy for several years, you have to take supplements. Uh, I've seen hmm. uh, like farm, like not even pharmacies, but like shops, so sort of like Boots, uh, sell vitamins for vegans and vegetarians. And I'm like, wow, yeah. you know, they're catching up. But also, it just it's just crazy to me how we're not even aware of what's missing. Are, and what isn't missing based on what we eat or what we don't eat. And I wish that wish that was also taught to us in school because that's also uh, science in itself and we have to know these things. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I suppose it's as much like knowing um, what's good and what's not to put into our bodies. Uh, uh, like it's as much that as uh, knowing what to do in these situations related to food because, like I said, everyone has a relationship with food, but do we actually know, th like, you know, the science of food? I yeah, think of if, course. I think if we knew the science of food more, uh, there would be... The diet culture would probably die. <laughs> uh, because then they don't know... They, they Fingers can't, crossed. Uh, they, they can't justify what they're selling anymore. Uh, because the diet culture makes me so sad. Um, mm. I, th I think okay. for several months when I was in Mannheim, I was counting calories a lot. And, I, and mm. it doesn't work. It doesn't work and actually makes things worse. Uh, your body just yeah. doesn't work properly. And I didn't get why. And w when, I when I was... Ana I love to do self-analyzing. I have ever since I stopped working uh, my part-time job or doing society work because I was away I had so much time to just self-analyze and I'm thinking yeah. damn I wish I just knew how my body worked uh, more and how bodies work in mm -hmm. general and how bodies react to food because then I wouldn't be doing this to myself and I, I think that would go for a lot of people um, when I was in that phase as well I was unfortunately looking through a lot of tumblr blogs on eating disorders and there was yeah. actually i didn't see anybody encouraging in particular maybe some because that's the nature of this side of tumblr but there were posts about how what are like the consequences of making those decisions over several years of you uh because somebody told you oh this this food is bad for you this food is good for you you should eat more of this and you will be like that um it has dire consequences on your health and 
that's why also the this particular mental illness has such a high mortality rate because some yeah. somebody a very vulnerable group of people was absolutely like properly lied to about these kind of things. Uh, oh completely this is a very touchy topic i don't i don't think uh, we need to yeah. talk anymore about yeah. this because i'm a, yeah, I, i'm not course. i'm not an expert in this area and also there again it's very very serious uh, yeah, yeah, we are, and we are not and experts. I and I get and I get really angry about it as well. Mm, I get that. Yeah. What else? What what other questions can we talk about? I mean, it's just like it's it, it's kind of pushed on us nearly. Uh, this is a certain way you need to eat because we see. You know, people who, like people in magazines who, you know, actors and stuff, and they have all these, you know, like, these are their diet plans and blah, blah, blah. And you see people like Chris Hemsworth, and it's like, this is what he eats, but it's like, that's not sustainable. Um, yeah. But yeah, they like, also they also have assistants and personal trainers and the funds to mm. fund these things. I would love a personal assistant. I'm not I'm not I'm not joking. I'm 20 years old and sometimes I wish there was another me in my life that would, could just come up to me and say okay it's 11 o'clock. Uh you need to eat your sandwich right now. I made you a really really good mm-hmm. one with sourdough bread. I grew the tomatoes myself and the tuna I caught it myself. There you go. You know, it's like when you have the when you have somebody in your life and the funds in your life to micromanage these aspects, of course it's going to be easy for you to look your best and feel your best because you have people doing it for you while yeah. you go while you go and like I don't know do whatever actors do. Act presumably. Um, hopefully, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're 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 paying a lot of money to do that. <laughs> that would be the idea. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like it's like Mal was saying to us on her episode about Camille Nanjiani, where he's like, "I want to get photos of me looking super buff uh, while I can, because my body cannot sustain this. So it's going to go back to like an act, like you know, what an actual human looks like, and not I mean, a super yeah. jacked Marvel man." But it's like, have you seen pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger? This guy yeah. was yeah. a beast back in the day, and now now he's. He's still very healthy. He still like supports his physique. Like uh, he's very, he's mm-hmm. a very healthy man. But like he's not overdoing it. You know, he's kind of just doing it more for himself and good on him yeah. because that's at his age. You have to do stuff like that to stay alive. Um, he's not like, the Terminator anymore. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't even think uh, he, that he was bigger than the Terminator at one point. Like this guy's mus- these guys' muscles were huge so big you know i didn't i didn't know a human man can look like that you know like whoa uh, people people drink so steroids nowadays to look look nowhere near like him you know <laughs> uh, but even then you're right like i don't think it is sustainable because uh, men's metabolism levels are much higher than women's they lose muscle mass like crazy um uh, I was dating a guy in Germany, and this guy loved going to the gym. Uh, but his problem was, and I quote, "Damn, I'm getting so skinny. Like, I, I haven't been to the gym in two months. 
I keep losing weight. Meanwhile, I am there, like, counting calories, like, counting the amount of cashews I have in my hand, thinking, damn, why why is the weight not going down? Like, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, muscle just doesn't stay on men. Meanwhile, like, the fat doesn't leave on, like, women or, like, female-type yeah. bodies. Whack. I think, though, potentially, a way for, like, women and kind of, um, like, everyone, like, really, like, to, like, improve our relationship with food and with, like body image and things like that like just to kind of end the episode on a like slightly lighter note mm-hmm. yes is to just realize that like food like like food is like food is fuel like you know it's there like to like at its core kind of that's what it's there for it's there to keep you going it's there to keep you alive uh keep you energized and yeah like a lot of people enjoy like experimenting and with cooking and stuff but like at the end of the day that's what it's for like you know it's there to live so as long as you are doing that to keep yourself like energized able to do what you're doing like you're like keep your keep your as healthy as as healthy as is possible for you like in this home in like this moment um and like enjoying yourself as well like you know like eating like eating like junk food or whatever every now and then like everything in moderation like as if you could do all that like for the most part like it's not possible all the time but like actually you're doing you're you're doing okay like if you like whatever your body looks like you'll be fine um the one thing i also found once um was a it was a description of a study about how a vietnamese woman moved to sweden and based on the kind of food she eats, whether it's Vietnamese food or uh, Swedish food, based on the the amount of pleasure act- uh, that she got from um, eating Vietnamese food, because it's more familiar to her, meant that she could retain uh, it, the nutrients better. Which means that... Well, there you go. What I want to say is, for pe- people should expand their palates if they have the opportunity. And mm-hmm. if they do that, then that means that they can enjoy different things more. And especially healthy things. Healthy things don't have to taste boring if you know how to season them and cook them properly. And if you enjoy how they taste, and if they taste something like pizza, you're going to actually retain the nutrients more. So what I would say is people should prob- people should open up their minds, even if... It- especially if it's within their income bracket and it also helps them travel the world without leaving the country because it's covid yeah so really just back to COVID. yeah really just stan little and aldi um yeah of course. always oh, absolutely actually <laughs> um another show a plug if people are learning german that are listening to this there is a great uh, s- uh series called mein lokal dein lokal and it's on youtube and they uh featured an episode of uh like um spanish uh, tapas bar thing and people in the comments were making fun of him saying uh, I think this guy couldn't find uh, Spanish cheese because it wasn't on the Aldi Spanish it wasn't <laughs> Al- Aldi Spanish week and the next week I go into Aldi I realize actually they have like different cuisine snack themes every week 
it was Spanish week that week, and the week after was Greek. So yeah, actually, like people people used to shit on Aldi and Lidl when I was growing up. I don't get it because they have such good food selection. I think that's a pretty good pretty good thing to wrap up on. Like Aldi and Lidl, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So sure. I feel like that's a good place to wrap it up. Like yeah. unless you've anything else to talk about. Okay, Eugenia, where can we find you? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at cooking.mama.genie. Uh, genie as in <laughs> genie from Aladdin, that's right. Uh, there I mainly cook uh, and review things I try. And if I go to any restaurants in the future in Dublin, I'll probably be reviewing those as well. On Twitter, uh, you can find me on at mamagenie101. Very nice. Nigel, where can we find you? Uh, you can mainly find me on Twitter, at SpicyNigel, where uh, I've tweeted a photo of the sunrise this morning. Uh, <gasps> and also... I love sunrises. Oh, yeah, uh, it, it's there. <laughs> uh, it looked really nice. There was some low fog, because I live in a valley, uh, and the sun oh, was yeah. sort of diffusing through. It was really nice. <laughs> that and... A picture of my new uh, blue Yeti mic that arrived literally today. So this is my first outing with it. Uh, yeah. Nice. Ali, where can we find and you? You can find me on Instagram at Ali, A-L-L-Y underscore K underscore Keegan, where I just post pictures. And funny enough, and you can find me on Twitter at AliCat underscore, which is Ali spelled like alleyway, cat spelled with a K, where I am just constantly um, screaming into the void. Um, you can find the podcast understandable yeah you can find the podcast at hyperfixationsp on twitter or at hyperfixationspod on instagram rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts be that spotify apple podcasts or in the bottom of your mug in your tea leaves wherever Uh, if you would like to talk to us about one of your hyperfixations please feel free to reach out to us at any of the aforementioned social media and that is all for this for this week, Eugenia. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me, letting me talk. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Goodbye then. Bye. Bye. Signing off.